Vogue came a little bit later and who could be the best Vogue model. And then Butch Queen started coming in and, you know, started voguing, but it was more like poses, hit a pose like in a magazine. And then the poses started to connect faster and faster and faster and faster. And by the time me and Jose hit it, it was a dance. But in the beginning, Vogue was just pose. Mm-hmm. Pose. It was just really slow. It was just who can look like a fashion model. Money, success, fame, glamour. Money, success, fame, glamour. Hello, I'm James St. James. This is Night Fever, New York Nightlife Legends from the 70s, 80s, 90s, and beyond. I am here, as always, with my co-hosts, the co-founders of World of Wonder, Fenton Bailey and Randy Barbado. Hello, boys. Hi. We are celebrating the party animals, the club kids, the nightlife legends, the disco dollies, and the downtown legends all. Um, Today, we have with us uh, someone who is beyond iconic. My goodness. Uh, He is a professional dancer. He is a choreographer, an MTV video vixen from the Vogue video. He is a star of the silver screen in movies like Truth or Dare, uh, The Birdcage, and the documentary Strike a Pose. He is a recording artist with uh, the Queen's English with his cohort, Jose Gutierrez. He is one of the great faces of the 1990s. We have with us Luis Camacho, a.k.a. Luis Extravaganza. Oh, I love how you rolled that R. (laughs) How are you? I'm really good. Thank you. You know, the last time I saw you was at the um, Robert Maplethorpe opening at LACMA, the Randy and Fenton documentary. You were with some of the boys. You were with uh, Kevin, right? Mm -hmm. Slam. And um, Jose, was Jose with you? I don't, I don't know if Jose was, but I, Carlton was. Carlton, right? It was so nice seeing you guys, and everyone looked so happy and 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 just really good. Do you remember that, Brandon Fenton? Yes. Oh yeah. You must be sick of talking about it or even thinking about it, but that it is hard to imagine a more iconic moment in pop culture than that Vogue video, because and especially what it represented in terms of sort of the not the commodification because that's the wrong word, but the sort of the way downtown and underground New York culture went completely just to the very top of the charts to sort of global super dome, super platform status. You know, it was a, a mega moment. There are, there are, there are hits and there are moments, but then there are defining moments, you know, and just how extraordinary that must've been. As, as delightful as it was for us, how extraordinary it must have been for you. The interesting part of that was I didn't realize that that notion, that idea, that consciousness till later, right? Because hindsight is twenty twenty. So I look back, I'm like, oh wow, that was really that was really something. You know, back then we were so young and we we're like yes we're, we're doing this we're doing that <laughs> la, 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 la. we're fierce right well you don't realize that you're in the eye of the hurricane it isn't until afterwards that you can look around and see yeah afterwards that you realize oh wait wow that was that was that was something wow you know so even if i never do anything else you know i've had that so i'm good i want to go back to uh you were you were born in the lower east side of manhattan 
and you went to the um, LaGuardia School of Performing Arts, which I imagine was uh, probably a really safe space for an LGBTQ teen to be. Uh, and that's where you also met Jose for the first time, right? Yes. Walk us through your first impressions of Jose and, and life as a teenager in New York. I met Jose uh, in high school. I was a sophomore. He was coming in as a freshman. And uh, his reputation from the get preceded him because uh, he had a friend named Darren Gibson. They both used to dance with Elliot Feld. And he uh, was a ballet prodigy. I don't think a lot of people know that, but Jose was a ballet prodigy when he walked into that school. yeah, he was one of the most beautiful male ballet dancers I've ever seen in my whole entire life. That's and interesting. That whatever he had, like, was palpable. You saw it right away, right away. I was like, oh my god, wow, it was it was amazing. Did the two of you to discover the ballroom scene together, or what had you? When when did you become aware of it, and when did you become a part of it? It's funny because. <laughs> You know, yeah, like most ahead. like most geniuses, uh, and uh, you know, Jose uh, knew it first, got to experience it, you know, right before I did. So he was like, "Come on, girl, let's do this." And I was like, "What? Who me?" <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I was a little bit more Catholic in my upbringing, so uh, I was a little bit more naive than he was. Were you going to, to nightclubs while you were in high school or? I, I wasn't, um, at least not in the beginning. So this is, we're talking freshman, sophomore, junior year. By, you know, by senior year, we were like, oh, bam, ba, 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 ba. But, you know, <laughs> it was just like, by that time we were seasoned. Where, so where were you going? What were you doing at that point? It was, do you remember, was there some moment? At that point, it was all really innocent. Like, honestly, like some of the seniors were already, unbeknownst to me, involved in that whole ballroom scene, right? And I was still a freshman, sophomore, junior. So after school, we would play Red Light, Green Light, Vogue. And so... Some of the friends that were in junior high, in uh, high school had friends that would visit, you know, from other places that would visit us after school, and we would just all hang out. And literally, we're playing Red Light Green Light Vogue at in Lincoln Center on the steps, just innocent, <laughs> like just it's just like I didn't, you know, what I'm saying it was just that innocent, right? Because we're just playing Red Light Green Light Vogue and doing our little poses and. You know, and then connecting them. And as we connect them, we would inject our dance training into them. So it's just like, oh, this is this looks like an arabesque. How about we did an arabesque or do this? Or, you know, do our arms this way as we're doing, you know, an attitude turn to the ground, into a dip, into a kanzai, and blah, blah, blah. So, but innocently enough, it started like that, like a game. You were in the House of LeMay before you were in uh, the Extravaganzas. Did you gravitate towards them? Did they recruit you? How was it that you ended up in the Ganzas? I was a LeMay uh, for a very short time. 
God bless Ronald LeMay. And Jose was like, mm, I'm going to be an extravaganza. <laughs> Jose always did it first. God bless him. He always did it first. And I'm like, wait, what's going on? Oh, I'm coming. I'm coming. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and so he's like, bish. You in the <laughs> wrong house, girl. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and so he was already an extravaganza first. And then, you know, me and my friend Joseph came along, not not there, you know, not soon after. And um, to get into the house, I had to walk a ball, of course. But my first categories weren't, it wasn't Vogue. My first category was Butch King and Drag. There's some footage in Paris that's burning that got cut. I got pictures and outtakes of it, of me in <laughs> drag. Ooh, it's such bad drag. Bad. <laughs> First time in drag. <laughs> booger drag, booger. <laughs> baby, baby drag. It was crazy, but I got a trophy, <laughs> so that's what got me in. Once, you know, once I was accepted, I felt like I had arrived into the group that I was really supposed to be in. Um, you know, they were a hot house. They were a mostly Latino house in um, in a world where there was a lot of African-American houses, uh, which was great. We stood out. And for that fact, we had to push harder, work harder, be fiercer to get noticed because there was a lot of times where they were like, mm, no, thank you. Anyway, moving on. You know, and Mother Angie was such a great, great. Oh, God, what a character. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think of the times uh, I, I knew her a little bit when, I, when we would go to Sound Factory and she would come to uh, Red Zone probably uh, a lot. She would come to the world. Um, uh, Angie, some of the great, you know, Hector. I mean, there were a lot of really fantastic Gansas out there. Do you, do you, what are your memories of Mother Angie? God, well, there's a really dramatic memory of me and Angie. We had a huge falling out one time. I won't get into that. I'll tell you that Benson after. And then, uh, <laughs> but she was like, but you know, she was honestly like a mother, like literally she was like, come children. And we would follow her around like mama duck and her baby ducks just following around her. She had this, again, because we had to, yeah, she had this aura. And again, because we had to be fiercer, right? We thought we had to just be fiercer and, fight for our place in this world, you know, that she led with her, I like to say with her chest bone, right? It was up and proud and unabashed. And so we all followed suit, you know, because anything less than that, and you're cut. Anything less than that, and it's a nine, it's a drop. You were worried about being cut at some point? Not from not from the house, but from categories. And so you have to you have to remember that back then that was you know, that was our world. We carried that out. And in that way, you know, there are programs on television right now that kind of depict that sort of stuff. And in that way it did bleed out into our you know, our normal lives. And so sometimes it was ballroom all the time for us. Did you ever get cut from a category? I did. Category is? The category was Bush Queen uh, up in pumps. And they uh, didn't feel that my Dolce & Gabbana pumps and sweater and tights made the cut. Oh, 
scandal. Yeah, I know. I didn't. I didn't win them all. You know that that one hurt because I was I was feeling it, honey. <laughs> <laughs> the reason why they cut me is because I I did a costume change. You know, I did a change on the runway, and they were like, "Oh, girl, this is not runway models. In fact, this is Butch Queen and Palms, la la la," and they cut me. And I would have did the same thing. How many trophies do you think you have? And do you still have them all? Where are they? I don't, I don't have them. I don't have, I probably have one in New York somewhere, but I, you know, I don't, I don't have them. I've, I've won a handful. <laughs> I imagine. Yes. I don't want to brag, but I won, I won my share. Yeah. <laughs> I remember in 1987, I, it was the summer of 87, and uh, Julie Jules had gone up to the Elks Lodge, and she won face and came down with the trophy at like four in the morning to the tunnel and said, you guys, there's this thing happening up in Harlem. It is amazing. It's this whole scene. And we didn't know anything. And she kept describing, you walk in these balls and there are these categories. And she was naming off that we had no idea what she was talking about. And then we all went on an expedition. Uh, we might as well have been going to, you know, Timbuktu. It was, we all the club kids went together and we called ourselves the House of Pancakes. And we were not welcome. <laughs> they were not having us. We were not being featured. And it's funny because we kept going and we kept, we went and I'm sure it's the same thing with Madonna and Jenny Livingston and Malcolm McLaren and MTV. We went because we wanted to say, we acknowledge this. We see you and we understand that this is a genius. That there's genius brilliance happening right here. And we bow down before it. There was never any thought. I don't think in anyone's mind of uh, cultural appropriation or exploitation or anything like that. Not That's not to say that it didn't happen, but I honestly believe that in the beginning, nobody went thinking that we just wanted to say, we understand that this is fabulous. Do you believe, do you, do you under, do you think that's true? Or do you think that there was some idea of exploitation that was, uh, people went in that, in thinking of that? Uh, I think that your group's vibration and consciousness was, is clean, but you you also have to understand that, you know, this was their thing. You know, it took us a moment to kind of wiggle up, you know, wiggle our way in. And we're also a minority, right? So they had this, you know, they had this world. It was theirs and theirs alone. They really treasured it and they kept it close. You know, they played it close to the chest. So every time that, it, you know, a Jenny Livingston came in or a Julie Jules or anybody like that came in, it was like, what are you doing? Here? What are you doing here? And why, why are you here? Right? This is our thing. Why are you here? And so, you know, you can't fault them for that. And, but, but little by little, you know, uh, Ideas change, opinions change, and we, you know, we adapt and everybody adapts and hopefully, you know, it's a good thing. And I think it has been a good thing. I think that the ballroom scene is now going through its second renaissance and um, 
and it's a good thing. It's a good thing that, you know, focus and a refocus is is on this community that has been, you know, a fringe, you know, community for for a very long time. So in the history process, was it like was was Jenny Livingston the first to sort of with Paris is burning to enter that world and document that world and put that out there and then how did that sort of was it was Paris is burning the device or the 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 thing that caused the world the word to spread like how do you see the trajectory you know yes yes is the short answer you know yes and no is a longer answer you know with Jenny Livingston you know came you know other eyes right because of like Julie Jules coming and, you know, you can't uh, deny Julie Jules back, you know, beauty back then. I mean, she was otherworldly, right? And so she's coming in and yeah. So whether she was white, black, Latino, you couldn't deny that she had face. So at the very core of that idea, yes, she's not one of us, but that bitch got face. So, you know, <laughs> you, you're, looking, you're looking around, it's like, is anybody going to come for this face right here? You know, no, then she gets the trophy. So, you know, there is that, like, this is ours, but ooh, bitch, you got, you're turning it, right? And nobody else is turning it like you, so then you get the trophy. Things like that, Julie Jules and, you know, and uh, Miss Livingston, Livingston, excuse me, were all happening at the same time like the 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 bubble or the shell cracked and so then it just started opening more and more ideas started to come in so yeah Jen, jenny livingston was the first person i saw but you know also i mean malcolm mclaren was before before madonna mm-hmm. and that 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 his his song came out and um jenny was after vogue paris is burning came out in what 91 in Vogue was 89, 90. Suzanne was doing the love ball in what, 88? Was that 88 or 89? Was it? I thought the love ball was like 91. Yeah, I thought it was after it as well. It was? Okay. And then, you know, House of Fields uh, were really instrumental in sort of bridging that uptown, mm-hmm. downtown gap. Uh, yep. I was working at the World, which was the first club in Manhattan to play um, exclusively house music. And that's when I, I noticed a lot of the kids started showing up there. And at um, the basement at Mars was another place where everybody gathered in Red Zone. Um, when was it that you guys, you and the Magnifiques, the Magnifiques were a lot, were downtown a, a lot. That was our, they were our sister house at that, you know, the, back then they were, the, we rolled with the Magnifiques too, because they were our sister house. Yeah. I mean, the world was literally down the street from where I live, James. And really? yes, I saw you there. <laughs> <laughs> we saw James St. James there. Of course we did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I remember seeing you, baby. I remember, I remember that, those outfits, that face, the attitude, honey. Did you, did you ever go to the choice? I love, well, that was Richard Vasquez. Yeah. Little hole in the wall. Ooh, girl. Oh. <laughs> there was a night where me and David Ian were at the sound factory. We didn't get to the sound factory till like five, six in the morning, right? And so 
you know, 12 in the afternoon, we jump in a cab, we go to the choice. Oh, and Dance it was, I mean, it was a pit. It really was. Yeah. But you went there at 11 in the morning and yes. danced until three in the afternoon. Yes. yes. And then we took a cab back to the sound fact. It was that, it was a crazy. Richard Vasquez. Yes. Was that, was the choice in his house? Did he have some, did, cause I, he, he did have a, he was doing parties at his house. He had a four story house on like Bowery and yep. second street. And you would walk in, there would be a, one story was like an orgy. The other story was dance. The other story was like a chill out room. And then one time people were dancing. There were so many people on the dance floor that the third floor fell onto the second floor. The whole building just collapsed on, and I, Queens were broken arms, broken legs, patches, ambulances. And so that's when he moved to the choice. Cause he was like, I can't do parties at my house anymore. Cause my, I don't have a third floor. <laughs> I, there, I remember one of my first times going to a ball and I think it was a Ganza ball uptown. And it was, it, you know, like they didn't start until like five or six in the morning and it was go, it was, it was really early in the morning. And I remember there was like a, people started clapping and then stomping. And then they were singing, chanting very low, Avis, Pendavis, Avis, Pendavis. And it kept getting louder and louder until they were screaming it and stomping it and chanting and the walls were shaking. And there she was. She, she was like a goddess in the arena and the, People just, everyone went bananas and everyone's screaming, Avis, Pendavis. And I still, to this day, I will find myself stomping and screaming Avis Pendavis. Who was Avis Pendavis and what was the, 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 why was she so beloved? I, I've always wanted to know. Uh, Avis Pendavis, of course, was the mother of the house of Pendavis back then. Um, and again, she, you know, was, she exuded mother. Right. So when you look at her, she looked like big woman, big, big, big woman. Yeah. She looked like she looked like a mom. I mean, uh -huh. she wasn't, you looked at her, you didn't see man at all. You saw mom and she was of that class that Dorian Corey was from and uh, Pepe La Beja was from and, uh, you know, Par you know, Paris Dupree, all those girls. They were the old school, like, pearls and feathers and big costumes. Like, before Butch Queen started coming to the balls, it was it was primarily, you know, trans, trans women and, and you know, of the like. And the <laughs> categories were who could be, like, the best showgirl. You know, Vogue came a little bit later and who could be the best Vogue model? And then Butch Queen started coming in and, you know, started voguing, but it was more like poses, hit a pose like in a magazine. And then the poses started to connect faster and faster and faster and faster. And by the time me and Jose hit it, it was a dance. But in the beginning, Vogue was just pose. Mm-hmm pose it was just really slow it was just who can look like a fashion model i had no idea that is amazing just like amazing yeah in the beginning it was who can be the most flamboyant showgirl yeah yeah in the beginning it was who can be the most beautiful showgirl in their feathers beads you know barely their outfits you know vegas and then it turned into well who can be a fashion model 
that that must be the 90s creeping in the supermodels correct and that was vogue mm -hmm. so you know it's just like who can be a fashion model on the cover of vogue magazine and then it just turned into vogue and so the girls would come out in these wonderful you know high fashion outfits and just stand there and pose and then switch to another pose and switch to another pose and then literally as the years gone by the poses started to connect faster and faster and faster and faster and faster and today it's so fast it's just like shlam <laughs> can we go back to dorian Corey for just a second sure we can just talk about whatever you want because um the, of course dorian Corey uh, has that gr great moment in in paris's burning where she says you know she's putting the makeup on and she says so you shoot an arrow and it goes real high well yeah. good, for, good you. for you yeah <laughs> it's such it's such a iconic moment in film um but then we have part two of dorian with the mummy in the closet what tell me about everyone's reaction when that story first was was happening were you a part of it did you know did people come to you and tell you the story um no i found out like everybody else those queens know how to keep a secret <laughs> i mean did you see the room she's putting the makeup in i mean there must be like two or three bodies in there yeah, i'm surprised they didn't find more i'm surprised they didn't find more um, yeah, but again, uh, I learned that interesting fact when, uh, you know, like everybody else did. Did you know Dorian well? Was she somebody that, that the kids knew or was she older generation? In, I mean, I knew her in the ballrooms. It wasn't like she was saying, what's up, Lewis? Yes. No, it wasn't that. But, you know, there was that reverence of, oh, there is Dorian Corey. Right, you know, just like Avis Pendavis, just like Pepe Lavesia. I knew Pepe Lavesia a little bit more than I knew the others, but um, we were such we were such young queens and trying to you know get our foot in, you know that uh, we were. For me, I'll speak for myself. I was so uh, you know self seeking and all just into myself that I was just like, it's all about me. Wee well, but it was about you the entire the entire that there were years and years there was there was just that you you were the focus of a lot of attention um, <laughs> it uh i because i had a i had a roommate who was stalked you for a couple of years i don't know if you remember onyx uh he was, he was onyx was my boyfriend was he yeah did he got you? <laughs> That's yeah. hysterical. I haven't seen Onyx. Do you have, whatever happened and to Jennifer. Onyx? Yes, That's Onyx and Jennifer it. and Aphrodita mm -hmm. and every and Barbara. Mm -hmm. They were yeah. all they they were my roommates forever. And he when the moment he saw you, he was like that's that's mine that's mine and then you yeah. guys ended up together that's a really happy story i'm very happy about that yeah onyx was beautiful oh is he yes he was do you know where he is is he still around i don't i was gonna ask you actually i owe him an amends so we had a, we had a falling out and um uh we didn't. We didn't. We we never spoke again. But I've always sort of wondered where he ended. I've always liked to find him somewhere. That's a really. I am just. That's my takeaway from this whole conversation. Onyx is one of the most beautiful guys I've ever seen in my whole life. Oh dear God in heaven! Those eyes, yeah. those green eyes. Mm -hmm. Wow, and that chin. He just had a chin. Mm -hmm. You know his real name? I can't remember what his real name was. What was it? His real name was Raymond. 
yes, 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 yes. That's so funny. I love I love seeing uh, Randy and Fenton's face like, note to self, find out where Onyx is. <laughs> <laughs> I remember Onyx had been with Lincoln Palsgrove. Remember Link? Yeah. And then Lincoln just pawned him off. He said, I, don't, I can't have him at my house anymore. Take him. And he came and lived with me. And then I guess he went off to you. That's so funny. The circle of boys. <laughs> they just go around and around and around. This is a very basic question, but I'm just so like when you first met Madonna and when you first heard Vogue, what did you think? Did you think, oh, my God, this is this is it? Or did you think, well, here's a hoe, here's a like, you know, here's a I just curious to know what you thought, like, because obviously you didn't. Well, maybe you did. Maybe you did think here is a life changing my life is never going to be the same, but maybe it was a different feeling. I'm just curious. Like, what did, what did you think of her? What did you think of the song? Well, first of all, I thought she was black. So there's that. Uh, they said, you're going to meet the, you know, it's like, there's this woman, there's this girl, Madonna, and she's pretty famous. And we were like, oh yeah, I know Madonna. And then that black girl who sings everybody. They're like, oh no, she's not black. I was like, oh, but you didn't, you didn't know, like, um, like Material Girl, or you had never watched any of the videos or anything? You didn't know? No. That's so funny. I went to school, and then I went to dance classes. Right. I, I was what they called a bunhead. I went oh. to school, and then I went to, you know, my red light, green light, Vogue, and then I went home. My parents were not those kind of people, you know. Really? Yeah. That's and so, you know, I thought she was black in the beginning and then she pops out and you weren't intimidated or anything because you didn't really know all the hoopla that was that, that surrounded her in the beginning. I honestly didn't put two and two together. I didn't I didn't know that like a version Madonna was the everybody Madonna because I didn't I was into I mean, I was into Motley Crue when I was when I was going to high school. <laughs> There's our takeaway right there. That's that's our soundbite. <laughs> there you go. I was Motley Crue. I was Billy Idol. You know, I was Michael Jackson. I was you know Culture Club. Um, I I wasn't Madonna. So that's I was into guys that looked like girls. You know, I was into guys that looked like girls. That was the fantasy for me. And so, you know. That quickly changed, of course, when I met her. and She popped out of the limo, and we uh, met at Trax. You ever went to Trax? Oh, yeah, sure. I love Trax. Yeah. David Tapino used to play on, at Trax on Tuesdays, and uh, you know I would uh, try to get try to get out of my house to go to Trax on Tuesdays. Well, Trax was another one that stayed, that was open late, 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 so you could sneak out. At, you could go at like seven in the morning and and still be a part of it another iconic moment of the time is the rock the vote video that you and jose and madonna did um it it's interesting because so much of what madonna was bringing to the table with the aids prevention and um you know rock the vote things like that that, that weren't taught i mean we people didn't talk about aids prevention when she was doing don't be silly put a condom on your willy that stuff in the in the stuff um 
was she an influence on you that way as well? And were you aware of the cultural impact that she was having with things like Rock the Vote? Yeah. I, by that time, yes, we were fully aware of her impact, of her power, she had a lot of power. And um, not only, I was not only humbled by it, but I was, you know, I, t I took it to heart. And, you know, it, it still guides my choices today. In what way? In what way does it still inform you today? Giving, you know, giving back to that community, outreach, um, and just being involved in anything that I can to help uh, spread the word, you know, spread the word and, and help, you know, other youths in need. Um, I rewatched Strike a Pose yesterday, the documentary about you and the boys, um, sort of post post Madonna and what happened to everyone afterwards. Um, some of the really there's really powerful stuff in it. Um, Slam, uh, where he talks about how he was hiding his his HIV diagnosis the whole time. Oh, Gabriel, of course, I mean, and his death and everyone dealing with Gabriel. You said very specifically at the dinner, you very carefully and precisely, you say, she does not owe us anything. And we, she, you know, everything that happened is on us and it's not because of her. And there was sort of a silence as I don't know whether everyone was agreeing with you or not, but um, you were very specific about that. I was. <laughs> that statement comes from a lot of, uh, you know, introspective work that I've been doing over the years, right? And so I could sit here and say, she owes me whatever, you know, choreographer. I should be choreographing all her, you know, Vogue, whatever she has, blah, blah, you know, but she, but she doesn't. She doesn't know me. She doesn't know me anything. And so for a while, for a long time, you know, I felt different, you know, but I was also um, in a different consciousness at that, at that time. And now, you know, I realized that everything that we did was, uh, you know, because we were talented and, you know, we should take ownership of that. And it's not because, you know, she plucked us out of existence and made us stars, but, you know, she wouldn't have done that if we didn't have, you know, if we didn't have talent. I'm so glad you chose that part of the film to reference because when I saw the film, by the way, a film I wish we had made. <laughs> I knew that was coming. I knew. I know you well enough to know that 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 was saying when that moment happened to me. I, I just when you said it, James, I got goosebumps all over again because I thought that was the real emotional heart of the film, and it was such a beautiful, powerful moment, and it was so counterintuitive to what you would expect, and it was just so beautiful and insightful and frankly, I don't know, empowered, I suppose. And it brought me back to seeing you in the Vogue video, seeing you doing uh, Vogue on the MTV Awards, which was a life-changing experience for me. And just, and seeing you in Truthful Dare and always thinking, you just always looked happy to be there. 
and but not ever beholden to this amazing person who was there you were that you were happy to be there and you were doing your thing and to me my eye just always went to you i mean yeah madonna's okay but i was like to me you and the guys were always the focus like that it was just it's such a great film the truth or dare is such a great film that she made about you guys to me she's like she's in it she's the co-star but she's not the star of that film and i thought that i just thought the the, the wisdom of the documentary striker pose was it was such a great takeaway because it could have so easily been a victim fest of like you know and i think in other people's hands it might have been but all of you had this wisdom and this which just goes where does where am i going with this i suppose it goes back to the fact that that scene and where you came from and what you were doing always had that fundamental wisdom at the core of it and that spiritual knowledge Yes, it's clubs and it's fabulousness and it's vogue and it's posing, but actually underneath it all is a really centered, profound wisdom. Thank you. I mean, listen, it's not only just to say she doesn't owe me anything and, you know, I'm fierce and that's, I mean, that's so like rudimentary, right? That's so like basic. It's, re it's really about, like you say, it's self-empowerment and knowing our individual worth so to sit and say she owes me something means that i'm not owning or honoring your own my worth. own you know yeah. my own value here right and so she doesn't owe me anything because i did my shit and i did it good i think i feel and you know and it was awesome <laughs> and it was awesome you know and that's what strike a pose is all about. It's all like the idea of voguing and striking a pose is owning your worth and your value and your fabulousness, right? It's like I love for her to call me up out of the blue and say, "Let's work together." Absolutely, absolutely. Uh -huh. But I don't demand that she do that. And there's a difference today, right? Because back then it was like, "Bitch, why aren't you calling me for X, Y, Z?" You know, and that's just just not the case. She doesn't owe me that. Kevin and Oliver and I think Gabriel as well had were suing her and um, they felt very differently at the at the time. And I remember that you and Jose very specifically were not a part of that and um, that she probably saw that and acknowledged that you were saying you understood even at that time that it was a gift and it happened and it was that but but there was there was no there's no quid pro quo there's nothing that she owes you right well and also me and jose had different contracts than everybody else that's one and two oh. you know we loved her we we loved her we really did we i mean she said jump we said how high but you know you know it was like how high bitch snap you know what I'm saying? And she loved that about, you know, she loved that about us, that when she said, you know, jump, we were like, we'll jump, how high, girl, you know, she was like, she was tickled pink about that shit, because... Nobody did that. Nobody said, nobody talked to her like that, I'm sure. No, nobody talked to her like that, because everybody, you know, I mean, she was who she was, right? We had her at a time when she was going from rubber bracelets and lace, you know, fingerless gloves to you know, tailored Gautier suits. Like she's making this transition from pop princess to this iconic musical figure. And so 
you know, we had her at that time when she's making that transition. Do you think that you were influencing her in that transition? Do you think that I think, she... I think the influence went both ways, definitely. You know, mm -hmm. I think she drew from us and we definitely drew from her. And that synergy worked. It just, it just worked. It really did. There was a scene in um, Strike a Pose where I think is it's, is it Jose or Salem was reading a fan letter from someone at the time. And they said that it was the first time that they had ever seen gay people being happy and successful. And until that time, the, the, the message or the, the narrative had always been, you know, trauma and, and sadness around, you know, gay stories and that truth or dare was one of the first time you saw happy people, happy gay people being on it and being successful and fabulous do you agree and why not right because exactly up exactly that, up to that point it was this message of you know dire consequences if you were gay right mm -hmm. like you can't be happy if you lie with the same sex and unbeknownst you know we didn't want i didn't want that out there for myself and so, you know, if we're going to be happy and fierce, then we're going to be loud, you know, we're going to be loud about it. And, and hopefully somebody else can have a great takeaway from that. Now, again, all of that is 2020. In the beginning, you know, back then we were like, we're fierce. <laughs> so you didn't, you didn't realize that you were changing the way people perceived LGBTQ no. people. No. Well, and it's, and it's funny because, you know, we get an inkling of that, you know, towards the end when you have, you know, the young son's mother coming up to you saying, you know, you changed my son's life and thus you changed mine. So it's this, you know, it's this ripple effect. And especially with me and Jose um, at that time, we didn't take that you know, we didn't take it for granted. We just didn't, we just didn't take that for granted. And so That's good to hear. We, were we were really touched because we're looking at each other like, oh, we're, we're, you know, that woman just said that to us and we're just trying to be, you know, extravaganzas and being fierce. You know, we never knew that it would have this positive impact that we didn't know that our stone that we threw into the, into the lake would ripple out so far. It was a gift. I watched another documentary over the weekend called um, Deep in Vogue. Do you know this one? Have you seen this? I haven't. It is. It. It's, it's um, a documentary about the voguing scene in the UK. And it's all these Liverpool and Manchester and London and Irish voguing houses that are is so bizarre what do you see when you see voguing houses in japan and france and and do you is it funny to you is it weird or is it just sort of like oh this is how it should be so obviously fenton and randy did not produce that documentary <laughs> <laughs> 
it's just this obscure little documentary. It's so, but it's so bizarre to see these like old, you know, it, there's there's a house of ghetto, I think, in Ireland, and it's these these women, it's these like older women that are voguing, and you're just like, like this just this is wrong, but it's so wrong, it's right, it's fabulous. <laughs> I think that the notion of I need to express myself, myself, and this is how I'm going to express it. Is kind of awesome and pure. Um, whether they use the vehicle of Vogue or salsa dancing or whatever is kind of not really that important. I really honestly feel that if they have latched onto this idea that Vogue and Voguing um, is the avenue that they choose to really like get it out and express themselves and make their mark, then I say, yes, you know? Right. When you go back to New York, do you, do you go to the balls and how do they react when they see you? And do you, do you judge? Do you, do you MC? Do you, are you just a watcher, pure watching now? Do you enter? I don't, uh, I haven't been to New York in a really long time. I think the last time I went to a ball was, uh, the Hall of Fame, where I was inducted into the Ballroom Hall of Fame, and I got my trophy for that, which was wonderful. Nice. And so, do they go bananas when they see you, though? When you when you show, do... I'd like to think so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's true, but let's just make it true. It's like, how else can you answer that question? <laughs> yeah. I know, I know, I'm putting you on this. <laughs> I'm thinking like the legend you are, just say yes. <laughs> <laughs> Although, the funny thing was that Jose was like, why didn't you Vogue more? Because they called me out to get, you know, to take my trophy. Like, you know, and, you know, ballroom, you know, Hall of Fame, inductee, Louis Extravaganza, and, you know, I just go out there and do my little hand thing and then, you know, I keep going and blah, blah, blah. And Jose was like, why didn't you Vogue more? I was like, because I'm wearing Etro. I don't know. <laughs> I didn't want to mess up my suit. Sorry. <laughs> mess up the lines. You don't want to wrinkle your suit, darling. I know. I'm like, hello. <laughs> Another thing in that there was a, a big sort of point about um, Strike a Pose is the notion that um, uh, in Truth or Dare, when Gabriel and Slam um, kiss and how dramatic that was for Gabriel at the time, which is just, I mean, you can't answer for Gabriel, but but how important that was just in pop culture. It was the, one of the first times you saw two men just going at it and kissing and just having fun did you in that moment when you're filming truth or dare do you realize that these moments are are like takeaways it's the interesting thing is i dare him to kiss gabriel right that was he, you yes he knew i think he knew it was coming they had this electricity throughout the tour and so being the B-I-T-C-H that I was back then, I was like, oh, you want to be, be cute? Then kiss him, you know? And so he was like, well, I'll kiss him. And Gabriel was like, okay, wait, 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 wait. And so, uh, <laughs> um, you know, the thing that became Gabriel's, uh, you know, the bane of his existence was really, you know, this watershed moment where 
you see these two beautiful humans. Oh, just you know, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful boys. You know, kissing. And, you know, it wasn't like a peck on the cheek, right? It was. It like, was they they were enjoying kissing. that. Exactly. And so, <laughs> so I think that vibration came through more than the kiss, right? So then it became even more like, <gasps> They really enjoyed that. It really wasn't honestly like, oh, they kissed, right? No, it was like, ooh, they kissed. Ooh, ooh they like it. Ooh, they're it. <laughs> and so that ooh, they're liking it is what the scandal was, really, honestly. And so, you know, it was it was pivotal. And even his mom today was like, as much as I hate that moment for my son, it was an important, I now acknowledge that that moment was a really important moment. And I only hope that Gabriel saw that before and realized that before he passed. Yeah, yeah, you do hope. So you saw James St. James at the world. Two questions. One, and you must tell the truth. What did you think of James? Number one, number two. And then number two, what did you think about the club kids and Michael Eilig and that whole scene of which James was such a critical part? So first, let's read James. I really, I really like James. Well, <laughs> Don't I really, you dare. <laughs> I really <laughs> like James because James, out of all of them, seems the less kooky one out of all of them. <laughs> um, and then I had the, you know, the Onyx and Jennifer connection. So we were, they were always talking about James and they held him in very high regard. So I held James in very high regard. Um, you know, the club kids, you know, it was fine. I mean, it, it was their thing. It wasn't our thing, but it was their thing. And then again, you know, if it was, if it was fierce, then it was fierce, right? Like whatever it was, if you were coming in whatever garb you were coming in and it was fierce, then work it, it was fierce. Right. Oh, so you don't want to talk about the first time I met Randy and Fenton in that? Uh... Oh, yes, please. <laughs> Do you remember oh, that? God. I think it was, wasn't it downtown, like Chelsea area? And uh... Yeah, it was at our office. It was at 80 Varick Street. And uh, we were doing this uh, film about yes. Wigstock uh, for the BBC. And you came in, you and um, Jose with uh, yes. Derek Khan. Who just passed away. Yeah, yeah, I know. Never Very sad. I, I saw him in Dubai 10 years ago. As one does. Yeah. Um, but you were just adorable. I, I think Randy and I were both overwhelmed with excitement because uh -huh. we just adored you. And so we couldn't really think of the questions to ask you. And you guys were just giggling like <laughs> manically because you were just... Going out, we were trying thing. to be very cool, like remember Fenton. We were just yes talking about the the club kids in, in downtown and everything like that. I do have to say that as as much as we really weren't accepted, even though we all had fun and you and everyone would come down to the clubs and we would go up and everything like that. It's funny to me that now when I see Vogue is when I see some of the balls on, uh, you know, on YouTube and things like that, after 10 years of Lady Gaga and Nicki Minaj and Katy Perry and Moschino, that the club kid aesthetic 
is in is is a part of the ballroom scene now and i gotta say that i i that maybe we were ahead of our times because i think if we were to go up there now maybe we would we would be loved and embraced a little bit more than we were at the time yeah again you know you you know jenny livingston uh you know all you guys um the house of field all of you guys you know we you know, that shell was broke, was broken open. And, you know, there was enough space for you guys to come in and make your mark as well. And, you know, that's beautiful. You know, that's beautiful. It's also important in its own right. I mean, look at, look around now, right? Back then, those, you know, those children would never, ever think about, you know, doing any of this that you guys were doing. And now, you know, they're, they're living for it. And I do remember um, specifically at like Red Zone and everything, there really was um, a, a feeling that everyone did become family. I really look back on that whole period as really sort of a magical time in, really in, in, just in pop culture. You can be diplomatic or you can be, I, I, I don't I don't know, but, but things like Pose and um, HBO's uh, Legendary. Um, do you feel that they get it right? Do you feel that um, it's a continuation of your legacy? I honestly love those shows. I think that those, you know, Pose and Legendary uh, deserve a space and a place. And I'm very proud that there is interest in shows like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I honor them. I really do. And the fact that like uh, Angelica Ross and Dominique Jackson and MJ Rodriguez and stuff, and it is making stars out of those girls. I think it's time. I think it's way past that time. Yeah. Quickly, I'll give you sixty seconds. How many? How many houses can you name off the top of your head? Go. Oh God. <laughs> ah! Okay. Uh, the House of Dupree, the House of Princess, the House of Omni, the House of Ninja, the House of Extravaganza, the House of La Beja, the House of Pendavis, the House of La May, the House of <laughs> Echelon, the House of Ebony, uh, the House of Magnifique, the House of uh, Balenciaga, the House <laughs> of Lanvan, on the House of Oh my god, I'm missing something. <laughs> oh my god, I'm missing something. Don't be mad yes. at me, y'all. I'm missing. He only gave me sixty seconds, so there you I did. I, there's um. Uh, did you say Gucci? Did you say? Did you say Khan? Uh, oh yeah, the House of Khan. You can't, you can't mess with. And, and and Icon, the House of Icon. And is there an Omni here? Is that is that L.A.? The House of Omni was in New York. It is New York. Okay. I'm, I'm okay. sure. Yeah, I'm sure they have a. I'm sure they have Omnis out here as well. Okay, I, 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 I think you, I think you did it, and then anyone, like you said, anyone you forget, I, I forget, I forgive me for putting you on the spot like that. <laughs> I forgot somebody. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry to put you on the spot like that. My fondest memories of the club scene back there, back then, James, you know, was going to the tunnel, going to Limelight, going to uh, the Palladium. You know, but our our home was, of course, Sound Factory was our home. Um, I mean, we were there before Junior even opened it up. I got to see the Sound Factory, and it was just, 
you know, an idea. And Christina Visca, shout out to her. I was going to say Christina Visca lived in my building. And um, I, I mean, she was somebody that was sort of intimidating to me. She was, she, I, she was a great, great character, and just so put together and fabulous. And even though, yes, yeah, so put together and so beautiful, so beautiful, so beautiful. Even though she lived in the building, and we would come and we would demand to be let in for free, and she would, it was just <laughs> eight in the morning, and we would come like twenty of us, and we'd be like, we're coming in because we just let you into the world, and she would not let. She was just, she was strict. <laughs> And scary. <laughs> um, like Christina. I love Christina. Did you talk, talk a little about um, Paradise Garage? Because that was um. Uh, did you go to Paradise Garage at all? Were you? I went uh, to Paradise Garage once at the end. There was that big weekend when they were closing, and um, and there was the big sit-in outside afterwards. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. Yes, and so I only went once, but thank goodness I. I had, you know, I had to go before it closed. I had to, had yeah. to. So I lied to my mom and said I was going somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> I'm having Oops. a sleepover at Jose's. And, yeah. yeah. But their phone isn't working, so don't try and call. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, you talk very quick, very lightly about um, that things got dark a little bit after, uh, during that time, and that yeah. you were brought to your knees yes. by heroin. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, and I, you know, so many people were so in the nineties, especially late nineties, it was, um, and I lost so, so many people, you know, it was, there was AIDS and heroin. They were the, the two things that took so many people. Well, it was that heroin, you know, that time of heroin chic. Everyone was like, yes. heroin chic. Oh, she's heroin chic. It's just, I was like, oh, I don't how know how chic this is, but uh, yeah, it was, it was a lot. It was a lot. And your mother finally to to draw you out. That's when you came to L.A. Is that what, when, when was that? What year was that? I am not good with years, but yes, she and my dad had the foresight to get me out of town and to disguised it as a Christmas present. When you realized what it was, did you fight that at all? Or was it, did you realize that this is a, this is ultimately a good thing and let's, let's go with it. You know, you look into your mother's eyes and she doesn't ever have to say a thing. So you know exactly what, what the intent is. And it was a moment of clarity for me where I was just surrendering to her notion of you need to go you need to rest you are gonna you're i mean we were we were you know we were going out on all cylinders right i mean oh, back yeah. then all all of us whether we were doing something or not doing something that we were go 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 all the time yeah at the world here there blah, 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 blah. and so because that time was so amazing that we all wanted just to drink it all up we were living yeah. james we were all living you were living <laughs> i was living i mean that those those nights right those nights it was fantastic they were i mean the stars were aligned for nightlife back then and i don't think it'll, it'll ever be like that again no clubs and houses and all that stuff. I mean, it was a, a really, really high point in creativity 
and nightlife and music and art all just messed up together. And it was very much that we were on a, a high wire that we were, you know, always balancing the darkness and the light and the good and the bad and everything. And some of us. Yeah. And after a while, you know, after a while, you just, you just become tired, you know? Yeah. And I, and I was, uh, you know, I was puttering out and my mom was like, you better go now. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm glad that you did. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you're out here and that, you, that you're in a, you're in a good headspace and you look fantastic and it's Thank wonderful you. to talk to you. It's so wonderful to talk to you. I know we're, we'll have to have you back and we'll have to do a little post nineties uh, wrap up. I would love that. Lewis, it's wonderful to see you. Thank you so much for being on night fever. I love you. Love guys. you. Thank, Thank you so you. much for everything. Thank you. Money success.